the, the joy of the path of life, the everyday moments where we can be authentic. And I think that's what we are looking for, isn't it? That, that we can be our authentic self and not only that we accept it, but then when we accept it ourselves, that who I am is fine the way it is. Who I am is, um, doesn't need to be altered, and I mean in our most deepest sense, doesn't need to be altered at all. But can we just show up and just be? Because that reflection of just being gives the invitation to others also just to drop it all and be here. Hello and welcome to Curious Ones podcast by Andara. I'm Yael Ginsberg, the host of the podcast, a yoga and meditation teacher and philosophy lover. Each week you will hear eye-opening interviews with the different teachers of the Andara Yoga Institute located in beautiful Baja, Mexico, along with other teachers that pass through here. This life-changing knowledge shared through authentic, heartfelt communication will help you live a happier, more fulfilled, and connected life. Let's dive in. I am so honored to have our guest today, my personal teacher, Suil. Suil is extensively trained in many different disciplines. Buddhist meditation, shamanic healing, NLP, coaching, tea ceremony, psychology, art, hypnosis, and sound healing, to name a few. She has been a Buddhist nun, a meditation teacher, a Dharma teacher, translator, therapist, and coach to executives across Asia. Suyul is one of the most joyous people I have met. And after completing her life coaching training, I can say that the biggest teaching that I received from her is her presence of joy and lightheartedness. She has many accomplishments under her belt, including collaborations with Buddhist masters and world-renowned leaders and teachers, which I only found out about while researching her because she speaks of herself with such humility and grace. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's an honor for me to be here with you today. Just to know, happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to start exactly with that, um, with what you see as the importance of humility. Well, you know, the ego is a trickster, isn't it? In our the makeup of our journey that... Uh, when we begin to have that pride of uh, this or that, whatever it is, then it takes away from, I believe, our, our natural who we are, which is already just fine as it is. And so I think that that um, humility, and I have to say, in my own training, I was always affected profoundly by the teachers that I've had who were masters but showed up so humbly and that it kind of melted 
for myself, that kind of ego pride of whatever we accumulation, accomplishment, and that I think that that ego can get in the way. So the path of humility, uh, of course, it's a very Asian kind of concept, uh, humility. Uh, I remember when I went to see one of my great teachers and he said to me, oh, you came such a long way, but there really isn't anything here. And my heart just kind of opened from that humility of this great master who was so humble uh, in his being that there was no need to sort of pump up his ego self, like to try to be somebody. In fact, I feel like my own training over all my lifetime has been about going away from who I thought I was to kind of open just up that authentic, here I am, that being, uh, and that, so I think that that humility is something I really treasure. And, uh, you know, these days it's very easy to go online and become a this or that instantly, or you learn it today and teach it tomorrow. That's never been my school because I, I really honor the path of mastery of life and walking humbly and in that Zen way to walk where there are light footsteps, you know, to walk lightly on the earth and be who we are without any kind of um, exaggeration, <laughs> something like that. Did that answer anything of your question? <laughs> yes, of course. It's so beautiful because a lot of times we feel like we have this need to show other people and be something very, very great and important. And that need comes from the ego. It's not the, the who we are. It's not our soul need. And it distracts from actually are doing and what we can bring to the world. If we have this image of what we want to show, it can take away from our being shining through. And that being shining through, that's really the point. That our being, whether it's shining through or it isn't, is already perfect the way it is. All of the other things that we learn, I think, in life, the meditation, the tea ceremony, all of these things help us, I believe, to enjoy the path of life. It's not about accomplishing that itself to be a master of tea ceremony or meditation, but that we enjoy the walk of our life every day. So that, that's interesting to me, rather than, you know, all of the pieces of paper we might want to stick on the wall, you know. <laughs> that, that just the, the, the joy of the path of life, the everyday moments where we can be authentic. And I think that's what we are looking for, isn't it? That, that we can be our authentic self and not only that we accept it, 
But then when we accept it ourselves that who I am is fine the way it is. Who I am is um, doesn't need to be altered, and I mean in our most deepest sense, doesn't need to be altered at all. But can we just show up and just be? Because that reflection of just being gives the invitation to others also just to drop it all and be here. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of been my path, this life, I would say. <laughs> and I'm very fortunate because I had many mirrors of that. As I said, I think that the teachers that I was attracted to Maybe because I had my own kind of pride, uh, you know, maybe pride has been one of my things to overcome, really, that, that kind of false set of pride. So the teachers that affected me the most were the ones that showed up completely natural and humble and great masters, great accomplishments, but you know, that can melt that part of us that feel like we need to do something in order to be loved, in order to be okay, in order to just enjoy every moment of life without that radar, am I doing okay? Am, am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be loved? Or is who I am really okay? You know, so overcoming that, then I, I really... um think that it's something that we all really uh, deeply aspire to. In some of these things of accumulating and studying and beings in something is just part of that journey of letting all of those layers drop off so that we can just be right here, who we are. Mm -hmm. That's so important. And I find that it's really has been a um, great realization for me in my own path. Um, that instead of thinking, because we all have things about ourselves that maybe we don't like, or we prefer to have them be different. And when I thought, when I was younger, I thought it was who I am. And then that led to a feeling of me thinking that something about me is flawed. And when I realized that it's not my core that has these flaws, it's the ego that keeps uh, these illusions and, and these um, maybe destructive behaviors or um, reactions that maybe aren't even aligned to who we want to show up as in the world but they still are part of our being. Yes, I mean, the impasse we had from our environments that, you know, kind of forces into becoming something or somebody in order to be okay. And so, of course, we all have had that. And then that ability to realize that's not really who I am. All of those things are not out there are not really who I am inside. And it's a big struggle to keep up that kind of um, front. You know, if, it, if it's not authentic, then it's, wow, it's like a full-time job just to kind of keep up with all of that. And so the relief 
of being able to just relax into just that sense of of uh, being okay. Everything is okay. It's a big, uh, big relief because trying to hold on the the role of the this or the that, the teacher, the students, the enlightened one, the unenlightened one. It's a lot of extra where none of that is really necessary. So when we take that one breath in, in that moment, there isn't any of that. And so I I enjoy that um, th- that path of the letting go of all that we thought that we are, and just being in this moment, in that breath, in the moment, and here we show up with none of that it doesn't exist in the moment of one breath. So that that's exciting for me. And what have you noticed has been uh, the most affecting in helping you shed these layers? Because you studied many different disciplines and from many different countries and religions and philosophies. What has helped you the most? You know, I think all of it's really helped. And, you know, I was really motivated early in my life to look for something beyond what I had already known. That, um, and actually it was really, my journey, I would say, began with uh, the death of someone that I loved very much and that I felt loved by. And something about that suddenness of that death motivated me to look for something beyond what was even expected of me or what I expected of myself because I couldn't answer that question in myself at that moment. I was quite young. I was 16 years old, but it was the seed of what became my entire life came from that, that. Yes, it was it that what is... What is beyond, you know, the mundaneness of life? Is there anything more than this? And that was really the, the seed that um, gave me the courage in a certain kind of way to go to all these different places and, and look for something that would have a deeper meaning in life. Because life didn't look that meaningful to me uh, as a 16-year-old and witnessing death and feeling abandoned by that death. So it started my own kind of quest to look for something that was beyond all of that. And so I started that journey quite young, and I'm still really on the journey. So, and everything I learned, so it wasn't like one thing. I mean, it sounds like lots of different things, but for me, it was like one particular flow that was like, you know, when you make the jigsaw puzzle and all the pieces are really necessary. And in the beginning, you don't know what it looks like at all. But as the piece, you, you begin to see as all the pieces start to form, 
that uh, it has like uh, uh, a bigger view than it had when you just saw all the pieces in a, a jumble. So it's not like there's one thing I could say. It was, it's been a continual flow. And the one thing about my own journey is, uh, even though I became accomplished in something over here or even wrote a book about it or something like this, when something called me, I could let that go and just go towards what was actually calling me. So one of my teachers, you know, I'd, when I went to um, visit one of my teachers and I said, oh, I, I'm kind of, you know, I took all of these different promises and vows about this thing over here. And now I'm going to do this. Is that going to be okay? He said, well, you know, you were on the bus before. Now you're getting on the plane. Journey's the same. <laughs> so, you know, I, I held a lot of those things. Well, my, is it okay that I'm going to do all these different things? Because it seemed different at the time. But now when I, as I, I look, you know, across the journey on this little path of life here, I realize, oh, it was just opening up a new part of the journey for me. And that uh, being able to start again, uh, you know, I was very interested in Zen when I was quite young and the practice of Zen and that idea of the beginner's mind so that in mastery, it's not about mastering all these things, but it's about always coming with that beginner's mind so that we're really aware and awake in the moment and that we can start again. We can let it, you know, we build a castle, a sand castle and start another one, you know, so that it, it's not just, um, accumulation of different things is just being part of the path and part of you know, what creates the the uh, good seeds of life. So, you know, we don't meditate to become good meditators or, but to become good at life, that our life becomes more in balance, that life becomes more sweet in its essence. And that whatever comes, because it doesn't mean the absence of what the obstacles that might come, but that we can face those things in a way that um, still has a certain kind of balance. So it's all been about kind of balancing and also, as I said, about living life. It, it, a lot of those things that I, I did was about how, how to live life through all of the impasses that come in life. So. I feel like I've been guided that way. It wasn't like I had all these ideas of now I'm going to, what, that, 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 that. No, wasn't that exactly. It was that one, um, one meeting developed into another one. And I, I, the thing that I was able to do though was to keep following no matter what mm. it looked like to others. And that's the big thing is that often we are trying to prove to others that, you know, we're okay. You know, I always like that statement, what others think of me is none of my business <laughs> because of how affected yeah. I was 
from the family of origin, the peer groups, oh, you could be, you should be. And, and as you begin to listen to those things, life gets a little complicated. So the one thing in my journey, and really because of the teachers I've had, was being able to like go back to that beginner's mind and just um, start again. No, because uh, everything, everything, in every every part of who we are is in everything that we do. So um, you know, I did that over there many years ago. Well, it's still here in the attitude or in the way of being that I am today. Uh, you know, it, it, it didn't throw it away or anything. It was just that it became part of who I, who I um, am in this moment. So, uh, as I said, it's been more like a flowing stream. And, you know, in the flowing stream, uh, the natural flow of a stream is when it comes across boulders on the road, on the stream, it always finds a way around. It finds the most effortless way to, uh, reach the ocean. And so I feel my journey has been a bit like that as well. <laughs> mm. Wow. I have so many things I would love to talk to, uh, talk about from what you just said. I think one very important point here is the courage to really do a lot of different things and jump from different areas. And I, from my research, I know that you had the Eastern influence from very young, right? Your grandfather was a Sanskrit scholar. And then at the age of 18, you were already living at the Neem Karoli Baba um, yes. Monastery, right? In, in India. The ashrams, the ashram, like a ashram, temple, actually. Yes. Yeah. Temple, yes. I, I lost the word. Um, and it's so incredible because I think that you were so ahead of your time. In the generations before us, I think the main idea was to find an occupation and to stick to that occupation for the rest of your life and just keep getting better at it. And nowadays, I hear a lot of times people saying that our generation is doesn't know how to commit and that they jump around and that they get bored easily. But I look at it in such a different way that... Even if you go from different subjects, like my path has been a bit like that. I was learning fashion design and then I was doing interior design and now I'm doing yoga and now I'm doing a podcast, you know, a lot of different things. But I, how I see it is it's all kind of tools that we uh, have in our belt and they make us more whole as a human for the next thing, the next venture that we go in. So I think it's so incredible that you had this uh, really beginner's mind in a time where it wasn't considered very acceptable. Well, actually, I feel like I was very fortunate because, in fact, the time that I started my journey was really the beginning, I would say, that early 70s was the beginning of um, it was after the 60s revolution. I was too young for that, but this early 70s then was when a lot of people were looking for other than what 
showed up for the generation before us. So there were a lot of seekers. There, were, there was a big movement of people looking for uh, spirituality, a deeper meaning in life, maybe even purpose. What is it about? Uh, is this all I am? Is there anything more? You know, these kinds of questions, I think, was a movement in the 70s. And I was young uh, at that time, but I was there was a movement that was moving towards the East for some of the answers that we couldn't really quite find in the West at that time. And um, so I think uh, it, it was a, a fortunate, just as the yoga um, situation is very popular right now, and many people are finding their, their path with the help of yoga uh, disciplines and things like that. At that time, uh, there was a, a movement of younger people to look for spiritual teachings um, that would help our, uh, really our flowering of, of who we are and who we are becoming. So I think I kind of jumped on that bandwagon a little bit. <laughs> I didn't realize that at the time. But as I look back on it now, I realize, oh, yes, yeah, so there's a lot of people that were on that, you know, path to find a deeper uh, spiritual meaning of life, whether it was through spirituality or just through the experiences of being in completely different cultures and recognizing that there are many ways of life that people have many cultures, each valuable. And, you know, I grew up in Scotland, so a very kind of um, small uh, path of influence really there where, you know, we all my family grew up in the same town and, you know, generations of uh, carrying on the same uh, traditions. Not my grandfather, of course, but mostly like this. And so kind of breaking out of that a little bit to open up also um, the rest of the world and the cultures of the world. And I feel like apart from all the, the teachers I met, all of the, what I like to call them is the uh, secret bodhisattvas, the secret beings of great kindness that you meet on the street or that, you know, come to, uh, help you or that sit next to you for tea. Those kinds of people also have been very inspirational for me, not just the, the, the grand masters in a way, but that the ordinary people. I remember when I first came to America, I came to America in 1981 as a translator for one of the great Zen masters from Korea. And uh, I had to go to the post office in L.A. And it was a tiny little post office with a very, very, very long line. And, you know, when you're waiting in line, people get grumpy and annoyed and, you know, start complaining and, you know, very busy people, what's going on. And I, I started noticing that the people coming out of the post office, however, were smiling. And so when I finally got to the to the the person you know to post the letter whatever it was that I was at the post office for, 
I realized that this man that did this every single day, the, the postman, uh, had such a, a beautiful attitude that it spread to everyone on that line who came to him very grumpy about how long they'd had to wait. And just the way of his being, the smile and the good nature was a great influence on that person's day. And I love that kind of uh, the natural teachers, I call them also, the ones that inspire you just by who they are. It, it was not any particular accomplishments or anything. It was just that sharing of that uh, kindness and um, having a kind of positive outlook and as I said, I went out smiling too, and I went, wow, okay, I just met like a, a true bodhisattva is the name we call people that in the Buddhist tradition that dedicate their practice for the benefit of all beings. And uh, so without all of that, he already was naturally that. And those people also impressed me that can show up in daily life and share a kindness with a stranger. So I, I, I will always remember that, that person because of how he showed up that day. And that's in my own teachings also that uh, remembering is that it's not about just what we do, but who we are is going to be what people remember, not all the things that we might have done. So who are we in this moment? How, how do we show up, you know, every day? Um, even in the days when we might wake up feeling grumpy, I don't know. <laughs> but how do we transform mm -hmm. that into, you know, as they say in Japan in the tea room, every day is a good day. So how is every day a good day? What is it? What constitutes that? Mm -hmm. So that, that becomes, you know, the study of like dropping away the things that are, are, are not uh, that important that we might hold on to. Mm -hmm. Like going through the closet and all the things that don't fit anymore, they we empty it out so there's more space. <laughs> so in that same way that we, um, you know, empty out all that stuff, you know, that we think and mm, old stories about who we should, could, must, you know, uh, all of that, just, you know, uh, the ability to empty that out and just take a breath. Mm. Smile, you know. <laughs> yes. uh, like you taught us in the training. <laughs> yes. Be happy for no reason at all. <laughs> yeah. Do we need a reason oh. to feel the joy of the moment? Not really. But it is a choice. Mm. And a lot of the work that I do is about helping um, to make those choices that give a quality of life. You know, because I think that's really, in the end, important, as I said, not what you did, not all of those accomplishments and certificates and all of that, not that, but who who we are every day. Because when we have that smile and that kindness towards other, it usually is because we can also, we have it towards ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, developing that self kindness and compassion 
uh, I think is really important, uh, you know, of all the things that we can focus on is loving ourselves. The Dalai Lama says that a lot, that um, start with compassion, kindness towards yourself. In fact, there's a, a story about the Dalai Lama when he came to America for the American Buddhist Teachers Conference. And um, many of the teachers were, you know, therapists or are, um, work in some kind of transpersonal psychology or things like this. And uh, at first, uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama couldn't understand the need for extra compassion towards herself because it's a very Western concept. In some cultures, that is automatic that you would love yourself as, as the deity, as the, the uh, enlightened one, as the heart of compassion. The, not as an extra thing, but in the West, we, we need to cultivate that because of our, our, our training and our focus towards the outer. And so it took him a little while, His Holiness, to, to understand that in the West, we actually need to develop that uh, ability towards self-compassion so, so that we can be compassionate to others. You know? So it's not, I think it's um, something that we can um, learn a lot from the East are some of those ideas. I always wanted to be a, a world citizen anyway, so, you know, <laughs> there's something to learn on all, from, from everything, really, I think. Yeah. Yes. It's so beautiful what you said. I feel like we should be learning this in school, how to be compassionate towards ourselves instead of the giving grades to everybody, comparing between the students you know, yeah. reprimanding somebody when they learn in a different way than the teacher is teaching yeah. in. I think we're doing better in that, in that now. I think that those things, those ideas are, are much more um, commonplace now than they were before, for sure. Yeah. You know, so um, I think we are learning. Also, each generation, they're going to... Um, bring in almost the teachings of how they're going to wake up and claim themselves will come in that generation. So we're beginning to see uh, different movements about uh, different ways of learning and also how to accept people who are different. And I think that's a, a big study right now is, is that how do we recognize the human heart in everyone, regardless of mm -hmm. what it looks like. Yeah. On the outside. So I think you've got hope, <laughs> I have a little hope yes. there, you know, in all these yes. struggling times. And, but I think when we come back to basic human qualities, the, the qualities of humanness are, even for the ones that uh, have the worst behavior, beyond that, there's usually some part of that person that desires that 
human heart, the, the kindness, the compassion, the love. And so it's a big teaching that in terms of our own judgment. Mm-hmm. I, I created a, a process in NLP that is basically a, a, a triangle and it's on the top is awareness, non-judgment and compassion. And with the idea that, you know, to, um, we need to, first of all, the awareness, we need to be paying attention to what's going on, cause and effect, all these kinds of things. Uh, what am I doing in my life? Is it working? Is it not working? Of course, going towards the way that it's working usually is good, <laughs> but also to have that ability to recognize. And then that piece of judgment, we are so judgmental about ourselves. So, of course, we're going to be judgmental about the other because that inner critic has been well-developed for, for many people that, mm-hmm. you know, are, uh, again, goes back to, am I lovable? Am I okay? Am I worthy? And so overcoming those things, then again, now with the, the love and compassion, the awareness, the non-judgment, and then uh, compassion, compassion towards ourself. And then once we have that for ourselves, other is not that big a step. Mm-hmm. You know, often in the, in the West, in, in some of the uh, traditions even, developing compassion for others. But it has to start here with ourselves because, you know, this is like central station here. So, <laughs> you know, what's going on in here is going to transmit to the outer. So, you know, uh, just forgiving ourselves for all the things that we might have listed up, you know, or that we think we should have and, and kind of emptying it out a little bit, starting again right now, one breath. That's beautiful. I have so much to, to say about what you just said. I feel like it's such an interesting point that you brought up here that even the people who on the outside seem angry or maybe mean to other people, it's usually coming as some sort of cry for help or cry for attention or love. And we can change our perspective of noticing that if they're talking that way to other people, how are they talking to themselves? Yeah. And where is this suffering coming from? And why, what has brought them to be so angry, be so sad that they have to unleash it onto other people? Yeah. Yes, it's, it's usually a, a cry for help, really, even though mm-hmm. it may not seem that way to the person either. But usually it's some kind mm-hmm. of cry for you know, it, it shows you kind of where they're sitting within themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there may not be anything that we need to do about that. Just like, you know, feel a moment of love, compassion, or that smile like the postman, you know, the, the man mm-hmm. at the post office. Just that that. Yes. that ability to be very focused and with the person and, you know, 
accept whatever it is automatically also changes the state of, you know, that grumpy person in the line that got there wanting to complain about, you know, how long it took and all of that. And just that, oh, well, I'm very happy to be here to serve you today. Just that the different, that, mm-hmm. you know, switches it all up. Not that he ha- was trying to do anything about it or change it in any way. Just coming in with this moment of something new. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we don't have to do anything about these things either, but just show up authentically. You know, it's not that we now suddenly have another job to do that we, you know, need to tick off the list, you know. But that mm-hmm. uh, naturally we, we recognize, oh, and it's not just with people that have bad behavior. You can have some very accomplished people also, but underneath they're still struggling with that aspect of, am I lovable? Am I enough? Is who I am okay? So um, this is, I think, one of the big gifts that we can have in life when finally we can go, you know, just like... Drop it all and then begin to just breathe because it's all really a story. And so, you know, whatever the story is beyond the story, can I just be at ease? And I think being at ease is one of our, the, the great unspoken, um, aspirations that people actually have just to feel at ease, to feel. No, that exhale, all okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> One exhale at a time. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And then the path becomes exciting, you know, because then wherever we are, it becomes something, you know, can, what can we learn from the tree, from the seasons, from, you know, who we meet on the street? That way, then everyone becomes the teacher. Everything becomes the teacher, not just the ones that, you know, how to say, have the title. Hey, I'm quickly interrupting the episode to extend an invitation. If you are interested in deepening into any of the subjects we talk about on the podcast, we offer many different experiences on our beautiful grounds here in Baja, Mexico. From nine-day modules such as sound healing and yoga nidra, to breath and meditation, as well as two or three hundred hour yoga teacher trainings, and many different shorter retreats. Check out our website yandara.com to see all the information about the different experiences. Let's get back to the episode. Well, I think that a really important point that you brought up there is forgiveness. And I definitely want to talk about the importance of teachers as well and the relationship of the master-disciple. I know it's considered sacred in the Buddhist tradition. And I also know from my personal experience that really the teachers that have come through my on my path that I've met personally, like you, or even teachers that I met through reading their books or 
as you said, the postman who's just giving out so much uh, happiness and ease that he becomes your teacher through inspiration. So I would love for you to talk yeah. a little bit about your teachers and the importance of teachers on the path. You know, for myself, the teachers have been very important. And, it, it, and I don't think it's necessarily that everybody needs to meet the, the great teacher. Uh, because as I said, I think in life, many things that come to us are the teacher, are the teaching. But personally, having teachers in my life have been a great advantage because, and I, just to state though, that not all of my teachers that I've had have been benevolent. I've had some encounters with some teachers where my experience was um, very challenged, not because in that relationship. So I, I, I want to um, recognize that not all teachers, even though they may have something to teach, are benevolent in, in the way that they may have a relationship towards the student. So I think, uh, as I said, I'm very grateful for all my teachers, even the one that was uh, crossed boundaries that I wouldn't wish on anyone else. But even that was a good teaching for me because it made me stronger to know my own rights as a student. So, you know, in the relationship with the, with the teacher, not that we're giving ourselves up for the teacher, but that we maintain our own autonomy in relationship with the teacher at the same time, opening up to receiving the teachings. And, you know, I, I'm so grateful for my teachers. I, they've been the really inspiration of my life. And still today, I, when I, I feel them, I get a little teary feeling how fortunate I have been with the people that have been my teachers, even the one that uh, crossed that boundary because that person gave me a kind of, even as confusing as it was, gave me a strength to honor myself. But the other teachers I've had, they just, they opened my heart. And so... You know, I think it's all about the heart, really. You know, and in whatever way that we can open our heart and, you know, feel that love and feel that compassion for self and other, whatever, whoever it is that can, uh, is in that position is, is a teacher also. And personally, I've had amazing beautiful teachers that uh, I, I will be eternally grateful for and uh, as actual formal teachers. And of course, for the student to be able to show up and um, 
go through all of our resistances and all that to learning and so that we can actually show up with a uh, and open our hearts and just like you know feel and uh, cry when it's a moment to cry and laugh when it's a moment to laugh and uh, you know I think it's very important and everybody has also their own destiny in a certain kind of way and so who we meet along the path as I said I like to think of all situations our teachers everybody that we meet is a possible teacher when we go beyond our own limitation in a way then everything is going to be a teacher or a teaching the flower that grows up through the cement or uh, I was in the Amazon one time where they had destroyed all of the forest. It was pretty sad, you know, to see the entire forest destroyed and barren like a desert. And yet, and then I looked down in that kind of sadness of feeling that, and there was one tiny, tiniest little pink flower, so pink, mm -hmm. growing up through this sandy, you know, soil and. In that moment, that flower was a teaching of like, wow, how things can renew and that uh, continuation, it, it gave me a kind of hope that through all the destruction, anyway, there, there's some way through. Uh, and this little flower was a great teacher that day, little pink flower. So I, as I said, that, Teachings can come in, in, in many, many forms when we are open to that and that we recognize, oh, you know, we might, you know, go to the Himalayas and, and find a, a great teacher there, or it might be the little flower that grows on the side of the road or uh, an ordinary person with kindness. And uh, when I was coming back from Baja recently, I, uh, you know, had injured my um, thumb, so I couldn't write out the forms. And this wonderful lady came and said, oh, let me help you. And I said, oh, you're my angel today. She said, <laughs> oh, thank you so much. You know, because that just that acknowledgement, you know, to the person also can you know, just naturally, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Naturally, that, you know, um, helping when we can, you know. And so, of course, now we are sort of in this sort of um, time uh, in the world where people are even suspicious if you want to help them sometimes. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's part of what we're going through right now. But I do feel there's a solution in every situation. And I, I, I may be, I, what I've learned from my teachers is to look for the solutions rather than drop into um, what's not working. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so teachers are abound, I would say. So, you know, and if you're lucky to find a teacher that has something to teach you that you feel ready to learn, uh, then I think that's a great blessing, actually. And it definitely has been for me. Forgiveness, that's a big topic. Yes. 
And um, I think, again, forgiveness is often about ourself. There's a, a book I read once. It was a channeled book about St. Francis. And uh, I forgot what it was called, but it was about St. Francis. And it, uh, it was a kind of conversation with St. Francis about, oh, St. Francis, how do I forgive? And uh, St. Francis answers, well, forgiveness, that's really in the realm of the humans. Usually we're forgiving what we did do, didn't do, forgiving ourselves or other. But to forgive as God forgives is to understand that nothing really happened. Now, that's a big, that's a big thing to compliment. To contemplate yeah. that idea that, you know, that original self is not touched by all the stories and impasse that it has. So when we begin to have an un understanding of that, you know, original self, that, you know, deeper part of our, our spirit, of our soul or whatever we want to call that, our Buddha nature, all those words that would describe that that all the impasse we have in life doesn't touch that original stream of consciousness. So forgiveness takes on another kind of aspect from that point of view. Mm. <laughs> That's beautiful. And, you know, you know, sometimes there's things maybe we wish we could have done more consciously but then then the lesson would be then okay another opportunity to show up in a different way then then it would be really a kind of uh truth because you know we can get into the power oh forgive me but we don't change anything so but if it gives us that awakening to change something some part of our behavior then um, that also becomes a, a, another great teaching. Don't Thank do it again. <laughs> do something <gorgeous>. different. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. There's always a, a new opportunity. There's always a chance to do it differently the next time. Exactly. Then it, then it really becomes a, a valuable lesson, you know? Right. You mentioned in the beginning of the conversation that your ability and the way that you are really able to have this su such a full and incredible life was your ability to follow the calling and notice that when the clue arrives, see this conversation as an opportunity to open up a new way and, and a new door. So how were you able to follow mm. this call and through that to find the teachers that you have? Well, there's following the call, but I, there was part of me that was um, compelled by the calling. Mm -hmm. So kind of motivated by the call itself, you know, so, and in, in my the beginning of my journey, we couldn't just Google things and find out things on Google or, you know, online things. So 
it was really a different era in terms of information. So um, I felt it. So, you know, when I took a moment and I stopped and I, I had the, maybe the idea or someone, I heard something and then I would feel that. And that feeling, when I just stopped and felt that, that feeling would actually be what the calling was. And then I would feel like, uh, okay, I know I'm going to go there. And, and I have to say that my journey wasn't like I set out with a particular intention. I, I talk about intention a lot in my own my own work, but for myself, it wasn't like I had a big intention. I was really looking to survive almost in a certain kind of way because I was looking for something more than what was being presented. So that desire to see what else there was I think was really the beginning of the calling. And as I said, when I look at, uh, or even when I sometimes talk about, you know, my own history, it seems like it's all these different things. But it wasn't for me. It was part of following that stream and then, oh, stop here for a little journey here and then continuing on so it might seem like a lot of different things but for as i experience it it's all been part of the same journey and that journey has really been for myself of um not only accepting myself but also recognizing maybe a contribution that i can make that will be fulfilling to, you know, I've never been really motivated by financial things or, you know, big houses. I remember when they, I did one exercise in some um, course that I did, they, they wanted you to really focus on the kind of house that you wanted. And most people wanted these big mansions. I never wanted that. I'm more of a hat in the woods kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> which is where I live. <laughs> and uh, so, but the, it's all, you know, it's like the, the one seed matures into the other. And I just, um, I've always had interest in um, uh, studying and trying things on and understanding. And so that's been the motivating factor for me. That also led me to um, go towards something, you know, like uh, I remember when a, um, a friend of mine said, oh, we, we're going to do this retreat in Nepal and you want to come. And uh, it, before that, I hadn't had any desire to have another teacher. I thought that I already had a practice. I had uh, the teachings that, that worked for me and uh, my life was pretty good. So I, I wasn't like I had a desire, but that invitation and I felt into that and I, I got a yes. So I got a plane ticket the next day. 
and flew off to Nepal. And uh, mm-hmm. so, again, there may, there may be many opportunities, not all opportunities we, we want to take, but trying it on, feeling into it and seeing if we have a yes. Uh, that's kind of what has worked for me. Does that, you know, do I get a yes about that? And there have been other situations where it seemed like it was an amazing opportunity and I didn't get a yes, so I didn't do that. So again, you know, letting your in, inside be that kind of um, uh, radar or GPS, uh, you know, to like where you are and do you, do you, do you need to do that? Or is it somebody else's idea? Try it on. Uh, how is that? Do I get a yes about that? And that's worked for me. Very simple, but it, it, it's always kind of worked, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you say get yeah. a yes, you, you're talking so, about an internal yes, right? An internal yes. Yes. Yeah. doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside, you know, but, um, mm-hmm. I get an internal yes, I'm going to go do that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so as again, when I when that invitation was there, uh, part of me thought, well, you know, I already have done all of these things. I'm happy. I'm. Uh, but when I got that invitation, I tried on, I got a yes. So I went and it, it was uh, amazing um, mm-hmm. encounter. Uh, that I'm so grateful that I listened in and got that yes because my mind was saying, oh, no, you don't need to do that. I mean, why would you do that? You already did this and that and the other thing. You've already got this and that, whatever. But that internal yes ended up being an incredible blessing in my life because I went for it. Mm-hmm. You know, my mind would have said, no, what, you couldn't go, go spend all that money and going to travel that far. You don't need to do that, you know. But my internal yes was like, okay. And listening to that yeah. internal response, not just the mind, but letting the mind like really come down. And I have my hand in my heart because this is kind of where I feel those yeses is more from this location where I can just breathe into that and, uh, you know, instead of like, you know, racing with what my mind might decide you know so taking a moment and just feeling it that's that's where my 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 yes yes no comes from (laughs) that's incredible and i think that's a very very valuable lesson and skill to develop to be able to sense is it a yes or is it a no yes Exactly. So not here, because, you know, our mind is going to make different decisions than our heart's going to make, isn't it? You know, and, um, you know, and also to know that, okay, you can try things out. If it doesn't work, you can change your mind. That's a good thing about having a mind, that you can change it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, <laughs> yes. uh, so not to get stuck. Oh, I decided this. Now I've got to do the whole thing now because I decided, you know, and I must, you know, I ordered that dish. Now I've got to eat it. No, you don't have to. Yeah. You can just say, oh, yeah. that, no, that's not going to work. 
So I'll change my mind. (laughs) You know, so not to be afraid to kind of go for it also, you know, not not to be overly cautious, but, you know, recognizing there's a difference from what the mind is going to tell us and what our, really our our heart is going to, you know, uh, show us. Yes. Right. Uh, Ramdas used to say that the biggest journey is from here to here. <laughs> mm. You look at getting out of this and coming back down to here. A big journey right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very, very true. I love this conversation. There are so many things that I want to think about over and over again. Um. We arrived at our closing curiosities that I close each episode with. So these are kind of uh, shorter, faster questions, but they're kind of deep, actually. (laughs) Um, Mm. First question is, what is something you've changed your mind about? I've changed my mind about relationships. I've changed my mind about uh, locations that I live. Um, yes, things like that. Changed my mind about my mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's quite a big one, I would say. Yes, I've changed my mind uh, when things don't work, I think. uh, It's easy to change one's mind. So that ability to recognize, oh, this is working. Maybe it worked then, but it's not working now. Can I change it out? Yes. So being able to change my mind that way, I find that pretty easy, actually, when I realize, oh, that used to work. It doesn't really work for me now. So I'm going to change my mind now and do this instead, because this is working. So practical things, really, I would say, easy to change one's mind. (laughs) Beautiful. Mm. What is something you didn't think you could do and you did? Well, that's an interesting question. Something that I didn't think I could do that I did. Well, uh, a very old story. I would say when I was a young person, I didn't think that I could really be happy in life. Very young, I felt like um, happiness was not on my uh, radar. It was more about struggle of survival. I had a lot of that when I was really young. And so when I look at my life now, I realize I would say that I have the seed of happiness and that I wake up every morning with the idea that, uh, not even an idea, with the um expression of joy for the day that is something i never thought that i would accomplish in my life having that because i i didn't start off in an, an ideal environment with uh, you know i started off with in a with a lot of internal struggle with a lot of outer reflection of how good i could be or was or should be but inside didn't feel that and so that you know contrast between what was outside and inside was a struggle for me when I was young. 
And I think a lot of people have that, that struggle. And so to, to think of having a struggle-free existence was not anything in my radar, you know, in that time. It's not that things don't happen. Things are always going to happen. But that I can um, stand up again, and arise again, and uh, be joyful through it is something I didn't think that I would be able to accomplish. Maybe it wasn't even that's on beautiful. the radar, so I'm not sure that truly answers your question. <laughs> yes, that's beautiful. And that brings me to the next question. What gives you hope? You no, know, what gives me hope are, um, to be honest, are the, the young ones. Mm. When I see that I have a, I didn't know, I, I'm someone that, doesn't have any children of my own, but I, I seem to adopt a lot of godchildren. <laughs> <laughs> and I love seeing um, the young ones. And um, someone that comes to my mind was, uh, I was in the Amazon um, at one point with one of the healers of uh, uh, Amazon tribe. And I was walking around. They're very sustainable. They're the most sustainable people I've ever met on the planet. And um, they, in terms of food, everything they need, they have there. They'll they'll be the, definitely the ones that are going to survive um, the planetary changes. And I noticed that the young son, he was very, very quiet, but he was always there and paying attention. And... Um, that gave me hope for uh, a new generation. Um, I have some wonderful young children in my life. And watching them kind of play with abandonment and, and just in, in the joy, I have hope that that seed will carry on for humanity. It gives me hope when I see how many people that really showing up right now who want an affirm peace, affirm, um, you, you know, opening, even though it can be challenging to be open when we've gone through so many impasse and that fear of being betrayed or, or being hurt, but we can still show up and open and be open in the moment, that gives me hope. So uh, all the things I, I'm mentioning, though, are humans. They're all people. So I think that I have a hope that people, um, as we evolve, as we become more self-compassionate, uh, that hope that people, People will spread the seed of that. Uh, that gives me that gives me hope. Beautiful. You know, the the guy in the post office gives me hope. Yeah. So I, uh, it's people that I'm thinking. Then it gives me hope. Mm. The human heart has a great capacity, so that definitely uh, brings great hope. Is that the capacity that each of us have in our human heart and our human seed of kindness that that brings me hope i think 
that's how we can have peace is each, each one takes, it takes not only the tribe, it takes, you know, as many as possible to feel that seed of compassion and love. And that gives me hope. Mm. (laughs) That's beautiful. And the last question, what are you curious about right now? I think part of my nature is to be curious, actually. Uh, I, I like, I've always liked different languages, different things, different parts of the world, different. So my, I've always had that sense of curiosity, even though uh, growing up, cur- curiosity was not like necessarily a good trait <laughs> to have. But I've always been a little curious of um, something that I, I, I don't know or a culture that I don't know about or a kind of way of living that I don't know about that, that gives me curiosity. I, I love hearing about, um, recently I heard from a friend of mine who's a filmmaker. He was doing, he went to do, um, scouting to film a tribe in the Amazon. And he realized when he got there that this particular tribe did not have any language of, in their language. And no language of hatred, blame, or shame in their actual language. And so, as my friend told me, it was, um, they were quite peaceful people because they didn't even have in their language any of those things. They've never, they've never had had wars. They don't even have disagreements because their language didn't even have the words for that. So that makes me curious as to, you know, all the possibilities that we haven't even heard of yet that maybe will uh, uh, affect, um, you know, the rest of us humans to change in ways that uh, really will make a difference. And so I have a curiosity for all of those things that maybe I don't know yet that could be of great benefit uh, or that can be um a seed for uh, for something that is uh, wonderful for for our planet for our hearts. So that I have cur- curiosity about. <laughs> Beautiful. Is there anything else that you would like to share that's important for you? The only thing is for people I don't know who is going to be watching this, but. Um, the the one thing is just keep on going you know don't give up when we come across an obstacle um uh, be like that river and find a way around it because the the benefits and the gifts of continuing your journey um in a good way uh, is going to be so fruitful and long lasting in life we might forget the place or the name of the person and all of that, but when we are able to go beyond and keep going, uh, the Dalai Lama likes to say that, never give up. Keep keep going on your path. Never give up. And develop more of that love and trust for oneself. If anything, that's what I would like to see. <laughs> I'm taking that for myself. <laughs> How can me too? <laughs> how, 
<laughs> How can people stay in touch with you? Um, well, I, I'm very reachable. So, uh, you know, WhatsApp and my email, definitely. And I do um, try to respond to those who uh, want to be in touch. That's part of my um, path is to be a resource for those that need to have resources. Would you like to share your email address? I think of maybe? myself more. My email is suwiel, like my name, 108 at gmail.com. So I'm here. Great. <laughs> Wonderful. Suwiel, thank you so much for this Website honor to come. of having... Oh, you're <laughs> um for thank you so much all your knowledge for your yeah. time here with me and us whoever is listening i can't wait to have another conversation with you because there's so much that we didn't talk about so thank you'll you. have to come and visit for tea that's why i love doing is have people coming yes. and visit and have tea <laughs> i would love that to come for tea now, after this time to nurture your mind and your spirit, we invite you to take a moment to consider others. A kind wish might come to mind. Know that what we learn becomes more valuable when we apply it and share it with others. So share this episode on Instagram stories, tag Yandara and I, or share with a loved one so that more people can benefit from it. Our hope is that the search will lead you home to who you already are to what was always there. We'll be back next week with more inspiration, honest conversation, and insight into the energetic world around us. Thank you for listening and watching.